Tonight we'll be talking in one of my favorite books, if not my favorite book, the book of Job. <laughs> I know when you read the book of Job, it, it could seem like it's depressing, but it depends on how you read it. And it depends on where you're at. You see, if you have not been through a storm in your life, if you have not, if all hell has not been thrown at you, you find that book a comfort. If everything's going good, you're like, man, I'm staying away from that book because I don't want to see what it's like. But I want to encourage you. When you see the book of Job, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. The title of the message is, Have You Considered My Servant Job? We're going to talk about some of the things that we get misunderstood about Job. Okay? Job, in my opinion, is one of the greatest books in the entire Bible. One of the greatest, the oldest book written in the Bible. Some say it was written by Moses. Some say it was written by Job. We don't know. But it's a manual for suffering. It's a guide for hope. We all need hope. But it's also an answer to hard questions. You see, the, the book of Job peels back the veil and allows us to see into the spirit world of what's really going on. You know, many Christians have heard of the book of Job. They read chapter one and chapter two and they're like, oh man, I'm going to, I'm going to go over to Psalms. I'm going to go over to the blessings and all those things. But there is such a blessing when you read about someone who has hit rock bottom. When, when they've hit rock bottom. Here are the bare bones fact. God initiated this entire situation. God initiated it. God removed the hedge. God gave Satan access to Job's life. Now here's a question that many people ask. Why do bad things happen to good people? And that's a question that people constantly ask. Why would God allow something of this magnitude to approach one of his children? See, Job had no King James Bible, no big choir, no Sunday school, no podcast. He had a relationship with God. Listen, you can have a relationship with God. Not religion, not churchianity, a relationship with God. Some of you, this may be your life verse. Psalms 119, 81 through 82. I am worn out waiting for your rescue, but I have put my hope in your word. My eyes are straining to see your promises come true. When will you comfort me? How many of you have felt that way? <laughs> if, if you haven't, the, the rest of you, you will. That will come upon you one day. But it's in these times when everything's going good that you begin to appreciate the, the presence of God. And when you're not feeling God's presence, when all hell is being thrown at you, you can look at that time and say, God, I know that you're with me. See, we serve God in the good times and we throw fits in the bad times. But we need to be consistent in our walk with God. See, the book of Job contains the longest place in the entire Bible where God speaks. And it's four chapters in Job 38 through 41. Job also has the longest place in the Bible where Satan speaks. And that's Job's chapter 1 and 2. So when you look at this, we see a situation going on between God and the devil. This book will peel back exactly. It's like if you could see through the sky, see through the third heaven, into the third heavens, and you would see a courtroom, a throne room. We've talked about this in messages past. Job's name means persecution. And in Aramaic, it means the repentant one. That's, man, when your name is named persecution. You know, some people, they name, you know, if you name your kid, you gotta watch what you name your kid. <laughs> because in the, in the, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it panned out in your life. So, I wanna lay the most realistic truths about this book. Listen, we need to understand that we are in a battle. There's the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. There's good and evil. There is war going around all around us. Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. Let's read. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. 
The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? We're going to look at that in a minute. It says, have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now, before you think you already know what this story unveils, we're going to look at this, and I'm not going to skirt around it. I'm not going to paint it a better picture. It is going to be what it is going to be because I believe when you see this, it's an honor to suffer for God. It's an honor to suffer for the name of Christ. Listen, Satan will target the most influential people for Christ because he is selecting that, that person that he can destroy to destroy the people that are following him. If Satan can take out the head guy, he will take out all that are around. If he could take out daddy and mommy, the kids will suffer. If he could take out the pastor, the church will suffer. If he could take out the president, the country will suffer. That's the kingdom of darkness. One thing about spiritual warfare, the closer you get to the top, the more firepower you will experience. If you look at modern warfare tactics, you will notice, for instance, on this terrorist fight, they go after the head guys. They, in terrorism, they're, they're trying to take out Al-Qaeda, the generals, all of that. Why? Because people underneath them will scurry. It's no secret that those who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 14, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. I think of that. To the degree that you suffer, that should tell you the degree of your purpose. We don't like that. But I don't know about you, but I want to devastate the kingdom of darkness. I want God to put me on the front line with a water pistol and anoint me to take out as many devils as possible. Are you with me, church? Amen. We need to be a church that rises up in the face of the enemy in the face of circumstances that come against us, we do not cower back. We do not shrink back. We stand up and say, you know what, devil? The God that I serve, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is able to destroy all of these things that are coming against me, that are coming against this nation, that are coming against the church. All we have to do is stand in the grace that is provided, know the God that we serve, and be empowered on a daily basis to walk through the kingdom of darkness and advance the kingdom forward. I hope you're doing that in your personal life. Because when you do that in a personal life, you come here and guess what? You're empowering. Some people, they just come to church like, oh, man, I got to get to Wednesday. I got to get to Sunday. Oh, bless God, it's Monday again. No, no. You come here. You come here as a soldier that has gotten your marching orders and your quiet time with God Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and you come and you be a part and you call the power of God down because there are people that come into this church that don't know Jesus, don't know God, has no, can't quote John 3.16, and they're sitting beside you, and we need the power of God to invade their heart and life. Praise God. Amen. So before you get cowering in the battle, you got to understand 
that you are come from a line of biblical patriarchs, that the blood of the martyrs have been the seed for the church, are in tough times. We have not been in Nero's hanging baskets because they used to put Christians and light them on fire just so that he could see his garden. We have not faced that. We have not faced that. Praise God, we have not faced that. But I'm not saying that it's not going to get darker. The darker it gets, the brighter we should get. <laughs> John 15, 18 through 20. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Because of this world, because this world hates you, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now you think about Jesus, the most compassionate, most loving person. You know, cause that's the thing. They, man, they look at the church like, oh, they, they spoke on sin. That's not very loving. That's not very compassionate. Listen, you can't get more loving and compassionate than Jesus and they killed him. We carry the same spirit that raised him from the dead. And he ain't muzzling us now because he didn't muzzle us when the church was getting off the ground. We are to go out and love people. And we are to go out and live our life not being a reproach to the kingdom of God. That makes them want. You know, we don't go out with signs and, and condemn people. We go out and love them and pull them out of the sin that so easily besets them. That's our job. That's our goal. That's what Jesus did. Jesus would sit down with sinners. He never said, hey, man, keep doing what you're doing. He would say, go and sin no more. There were no pink elephants in the room when Jesus was there. Now, point number one, the righteous is not exempt. Right off the bat, people think because you live righteously that you're exempted from attacks. When people say, why do bad things happen to good people? What they're saying is, I'm doing good. I should not be suffering. What they're saying is, the Christian that lives subpar, that guy should suffer, but not me. I'm reading my Bible. I read two chapters a day. I listen to K-Love, right? I shouldn't be suffering. <laughs> listen, when we live for Christ, the byproduct of salvation is living a godly life. There's no way around that. You can't be saved and still live a bad life. You can't be saved and, and not be good. Because Jesus is the one that makes you good. And therefore, you pattern your life after him and after the instructions that he gives us. So, so to understand that, we need to understand Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. This man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Now, think about that. Blameless, not sinless, meaning that he was beyond reproach in his character and living. He was upright. No one could morally accuse him. He feared God, which means he had reverence for him. He respected him. He took the ways of God seriously. When temptation came up, he walked away. He was a blessed man. The blessing of God was all over him. How do we know that? He tells you in Job chapter 1, 2 through 5. He had seven sons, three daughters. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. He was a great businessman. The Bible says he was the greatest man in all of the East. It says in verse 4, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, which means they would attend each other's birthday parties. And then they would send, send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it came about when the days of feasting I completed their cycle that Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning, offering burnt offerings according to the number of all of them. And this is what he would say, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did this continually. See, he had a close-knit family. Right? He had a close, I mean, this, this guy is doing good. He's a successful businessman. When he had sheep, they, that was used for clothing and food. Camels were used for transportation. Oxen was used for plowing food. 
He had, an he had a large employee base. He was a godly, successful family and businessman. There was no doubt that God was pleased with Job. No doubt. God himself is saying that he's an upright man. So he's the least likely candidate to have something bad happen to him. Now, Job didn't say, well, you know, if all this bad stuff's happened, I'm just going to go back in the world. How many of us say that? How many of us say that? He was also a prayer warrior. He was praying for his children. He was the king and priest of his house. See, God singles him out because he's worthy to be an example. This is a different level of Christianity than what we're used to. This totally flies in, in the face of what we believe. It's a matter of perspective. You know, in Philippians 3.10, it says we should be blessed to enter into the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. Which brings me to point number two. We have to have a heavenly perspective. See, there's always a heavenly purpose. Always. God always has a purpose for everything that we're going through. Now, let's look into the heavens and peel back the sky and see exactly what's going on. Job chapter 1, verse 6. There was a day when the sons of God, these are angels, came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. Now, listen. This is an ordinary day. This is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. One of those days of the week. And this is what's happening. God sends angels to do his work, right? We know that. And he makes them come back and give an account. That's what he does. See, everything, this shows the sovereignty of God. Everything on the face of the earth has to answer to God. There's no, uh, there's no person out here just doing their own thing. There's nothing. Every, God is sovereign over everything and everyone, whether you believe it or not, whether you care or not. Fire burns whether you believe it or not. If you stick your finger in that socket, if you don't believe it, it's gonna, it's gonna shock you whether you believe it or not. Every, whether you don't believe in God, any other religion, it, it doesn't matter what it is, all of those people have to answer to Jesus Christ, period. So when you understand that, I enjoy the fact that God is so powerful. I enjoy the fact that God is sovereign, that his providence means whatever God says will be, will be, and nothing can change it. Nothing can change it. That means when Satan says, ha, let's do this, let's do that, we cannot, he cannot change the plan of God in your life. See, he's the devil, but he's God's devil. He got the devil on a leash, and he tells him when he can eat, where he can go. Praise God. Yes. We, we are fighting a real devil. All of the New Testament talks about Lucifer, Satan. Jesus himself came face to face with Satan. Don't let anybody tell you the devil is not real. I know the devil is real. I fight him every day. Now, this is the deal. Job 1, 7, and, God, and the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? God didn't say, hey, man, where you been? God is saying, give me an account of where you have been roaming. You little twit. Said from roaming on the earth, walking around on it. See, God knew the answer. God knows everything. There's nothing God doesn't know. But what does Satan do while he's roaming the earth? He's prowling, seeking to devour you, your kids, your neighborhood, your church, your country. He, that's what he does. He blinds the mind of, minds of people. He steals God's word from people. He tempts. He sows discord. He persecutes the church and he persecutes Israel. He deceives the nation and he kills and destroys. That's his agenda. That's his agenda, period. Job 1.8, and the Lord said to Satan, listen to this, have you considered my servant Job? For there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Now, do you see that God initiated this? Now, this is like, oh, God, please don't ever use me. God, please don't subject me to this. Let me ask you a question. Is your life worthy of a test? Is it worthy of a test? 
Is your life worth, worth saying when God's saying, hey, check out this guy or this lady right here? You want to see a man or woman of God, check this person out. Is your life worth making Jesus stand off of his throne like he did with Stephen? See, I look at this, these miscarriages. I always bring it up, but it, it is what it is. And I'm like, man, what is the devil fighting? You know, you look at that in your situation. Man, why the devil's fighting me so hard? You know what it does? It doesn't make me say, man, I'm not serving God. It makes me say, all right, devil, you got to deal with me now. What about you? Are you tired of the devil taking your stuff, pushing you around? See, when you get lack or things don't happen, it should inspire you to say, you know what? I'm going to take out a whole segment of the kingdom of darkness because of this. Is that your thought process? Or do you say, man, the devil's after me. I, I better come over here, man. I hope he don't see me. That should not be our thought process. We have the power of the living God on the inside of us, whether you feel it or not. We do. We have all authority over every demon, ever, over every spirit, over everything that lifts itself against the knowledge and the truth of God. We have the power. We don't have to work it up. We don't have to run on the treadmill to get it going. We stand, we wake up, we pray, we walk out, and we take the kingdom of darkness and empty it. That's our daily... That's our daily job. That means you go talk to Susie at work. Your job is I'm getting you out of the kingdom of darkness. You go to your family, a little bit difficult. Go to your family and say, I'm pulling you out of the kingdom of darkness. That's our goal. That's, the, that's what God has called us to do. Now, what does God know about your future? And what does Satan know about your future? It's kind of like a proud father that says, man, you think you're good at basketball? You ought to see my son. Have you ever thought of it that way? Or do we just get mad at God? Have you ever thought that everything is going wrong in your life because you're doing everything right? <laughs> Can God trust you with tragedy? Can you be trusted with the very glory of God? Look, Christianity... It's not for sissies. It really isn't. I mean, it's not. If it were easy, everybody would be a Christian. But are we you curse God and throw him aside when it gets bad? Now, we do suffer because of sin, our choices, other people's choices. But do you think you are thought highly enough in, he enough in heaven for God to say, have you considered my servant so-and-so? Now think about this. You give a military person a medal when they have done outstanding in the military. The commander puts them in a situation and they conquer that situation. That's why I love our military. They should be applauded every single day of our lives. Praise God. Because they are on the front line fighting for our freedom. And they get rewarded when they go through the battle. Philippians 1, 29 and 30, for to you it has been granted for the Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. See, that kingdom mentality is, it doesn't matter what comes my way, I praise God for blessings, but I'm not going to curse God for when it don't go, don't go right. You have to make that a priority in your life. We put so much faith in God that he is able to do everything. And so when he don't, we blame him. Or when it doesn't go in our timing, we blame him. We get mad at him. Look at Paul. Paul, his assignment was to suffer according to Acts. So suffering is not, woe, it's me. It's making heaven say, wow, look at this person persevering in the fire. Then, then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? I all, that always baffled me. What was, what was Satan telling God? This is a blatant attack on God. This is Satan taking a cannon 
and shooting it right at the face of God and trying to pull the trigger. You know what he was telling them? He was saying, God, the only reason people care about you, love you, is because you bless them. You have to buy worship. You, you have to do stuff for people. Nobody loves you because you're a God. You got to do stuff. That's what you got to do. Then he's attacking Job, saying, Job, he only suffers you because you do stuff. Now, notice how he, the devil does this. Look at the, the Garden of Eden. He goes to Eve and says, God's holding out on you. Now, you see the heavenly realm. He's in front of, in front of God, and he's saying, man, you blessed Job too much. So what is God doing for you, and what is Satan telling you? Is Satan telling you, God don't like you, man. You, I mean, you, 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 the, you, the bad egg. And God's in heaven saying, keep going. I know where, I know where we're going with this. We're going to make the devil look like a fool. Keep going. And Satan is telling you, man, God's forsaken you. He's not paying attention to you. Look how long it's been since he's answered a prayer. Now, of course, Job was blessed by God. No one would deny that. But what about you? If God never answered another prayer, would you serve God? You see, God loves you because he loves you. But do you love God because you love God? That's the question. We don't have to do all kind of stuff to get God to love us. And we shouldn't have to ask God to do all kind of stuff for us to love him. Job 1.10, have you not made a hedge about him in his, in his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and the possessions have increased in the land. See, Satan acknowledges this hedge. Maybe Satan has been scouting him all this time. Maybe he's gone down to Job and said, man, there's a hedge here. There's a hedge here. I can't get in here. Because he's acknowledging the hedge. Do you realize that you have an even better hedge, the blood of Jesus, surrounding you, surrounding your family, surrounding your property? Job 1.11, put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. Now, this is rubber meat road. Serving God when all hell breaks loose. This tells you your Christianity. This, this right here is who you are in Christ. That's why we see people walk the aisle, they give their life to Jesus. Satan says, oh, really? I got you now. He puts a bullseye on your head, and you have a bad two, three weeks. And then you say, man, forget this. I'm going back to religion. Hey, I got a mental assent that Jesus is Lord. That's good enough for me. I'm not getting in this battle. But going through, persevering. Listen, there's no greater life than serving in the kingdom of God. There's no greater life than being a child of God. I done took every drug there is. I'm not going to give the Christian cliche and know how I like the most high. So, But there's nothing better. There's no guilt when you're serving God. The Bible says there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Are you tired of guilt? Are you tired of laying in bed watching that ceiling fan saying, man, what did I do? When you serve God, when you do see that ceiling fan, you can begin to repent and get up from your bed, wash your face, and go to work. Praise God. That's what, that's what forgiveness is about. Job 1, 12. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now here's an example of God's sovereignty. He shows the devil that he has access but he gives him the parameters in which he can, he can operate. So God is in charge of the circumstance no matter what. So you can have full confidence and lay your head on the pillow of sovereignty and say, God, it does not matter what comes. I know you're in control and I trust you with everything that I am. At this point, Satan with his old ugly self walks out of the room, looks down, and darts through the clouds and lands right in the backyard of Job. And he notices, ha, no hedge. Then he's, he, he looks at Job like a lion stalking his prey. And he says, I got you now. Think of that. 
which brings us to point number three, Job's trial begins. Let me ask you a question. The Lord began to show me this today. What if an earthly trial is producing a heavenly teaching to heavenly beings? You ever thought about that? You know, the Bible says in 1 Peter 1.12, it's so, it's so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. In other words, the church is the angel's university. Come on now. They watching us and God saying, that's how you worship me. That's how you serve me. That's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. That's what, that's what God does. The Bible also says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. That means Moses and all of these great patriarchs are watching you run your race. Those that maybe have passed on before you are applauding you as he, as they watch you day in and day out, bite your tongue and not say something to your coworker. Or when you have an opportunity to do something wrong, you say, you know what? I'm not going to hinder God's work in my life. I'm going to continue doing what's right. And all of heaven, David and Paul and all of these people are saying, that's right. Keep going. Keep moving forward. We've passed you the torch. This thing is about to wrap up. Blaze this thing up. I believe that. I believe that. It's not a time to shrink back. Yeah, it's getting bad. I, it is. You see the ten nations forming now. Didn't you see Europe back out? What you're seeing is a ten-nation coalition coming to pass. We should applaud that. You know what that means? Jesus is about to split the sky and come and get us. Praise God. But the key is, while we're here, man, we grabbing everybody there is. We say, man, you need to come. Man, you need to get here. You need to, come on, man, come in, come in. The, the ark door is about to shut. The animals are coming in. Who are you bringing in the ark with you? Job 1, 14 and 15. I got to hurry up. A messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, this is a normal day here. Let me ask you a question. You think this just happened? Job's servant comes dashing through the screen door and says, Job, I have bad news. We've had a terrorist attack. And then... At that point, it says, a terrorist band of thieves came and killed all the servants and stole Job's cattle. Likewise, you see all that happening today. You see terrorism happening today. You see, we get mad at people, but we should be getting mad at the devil. We should be getting mad at the kingdom of darkness. We, that's what we should be focusing our anger on. It's the same devil. That, that's behind mass killings and shootings. He's behind political rhetoric. He was behind the killing of John the Baptist. He was behind Judas, used him and dropped him like a rag doll. Satan is the god of this world and he's creating division. Do you know what the, the, the two most attacks are coming at? It's coming at Israel and it's coming at the church. That's not a coincidence. He's trying to shut the church up. The church will not shut up. Rome fell. The Babylonians fell. Everybody that has ever tried to take the church out has fallen to dust, and the church still stands here today. Praise God. And that will continue happening going forward. The best thing you could do is link arms with your brothers and sister and go for the ride of your life. And when this thing falls apart, and the last shot is fired, and we hear that trump, and we're on our way up, we'll be applauding Jesus. We'll see all these angels like, golly, these things we're fighting for us? And then we'll stand in the glorious palaces in heaven. We will look at Jesus, and we'll say, Lord, we did everything you asked us to do. We have fought the good fight of faith, our mission is over with, and we get to enjoy the presence of God face to face. Amen. Praise God. Job 1.16, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep 
and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, no doubt this is a lightning storm. Weather. We see a lot of weather today, boy. I was at my Texas Roadhouse in the parking lot the other day. I'm like, golly, this is hell right here. This is a good evangelistic tool. When you see that sun beating down on that blacktop, it's like, man, we ought to bring people out here and be like, man, look, this is the foyer of hell. <laughs> All 7,000 sheep and servants were destroyed immediately. Now imagine this cataclysmic devastation. Job 1, 17 and 18. While he was still speaking, another came in and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew them. The servants with the edge of the sword and I alone escaped to tell you. Another messenger comes in and says, Man, these Chaldeans came in and killed everything, stole everything. The Chaldeans would, would one day form the Babylonian Empire and take the Jewish people into captivity. If I had time, I could show you how the Chaldeans are basically a picture of the demonic spirits that are flooding this earth today. Job 1, 18 and 19. While he was still speaking, another came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they died. I alone have escaped to tell you. Now this is the death blow. Our, ten, our tornado came and took out the house and killed all of his children. But notice how in these catastrophes, God sent messengers. Now what about us? Are we messengers of doom and gloom? Are we coming out like they did and stating the obvious? Or are we trying to help people? That's just a thought. Do, are we, when things come down and, 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 and all hell is breaking loose, are we bringing a message of hope in that situation? Listen, if the church don't have the answer, no one does. The, the, no one does. No one can help this country. Republican, Democrat, it does not matter. You can have the best guy, the best lady. Only the church can help this problem. Praise God. You may not believe that, but you better read your Bible. <laughs> Listen, we are the authority in this earth. That's why when we're taken out, God gives the devil, now have your way. Do what you got to do. And you got seven years of pure hell on earth. What happens is God says, I've given you my spirit. I've kept the church there to help you, to empower you. But you don't want that. You want this, this idiot, the Antichrist, so he can have his way. And so that's the, the important part, that we have the answer. When somebody's hurting, they come to the church, we have the answer. The answer is Jesus. That's it. Not pills, not bottles, not six packs, 12 packs, Jesus. <laughs> but when something goes wrong, do you think God is detached? That's what we think. Like, oh, I'm alone. Listen. The Bible says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Job 1.20. See, what happens is, think about Job weeping. All of this devastation coming upon him. The Bible says, then Job arose and tore his, clothes and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped. Listen, this is the hard part. But it says, Job arose. He arose to a new way of life, but he arose to the same God. The same God was with Job. But the, and the key is he arose. He got up. No matter what comes your way, dust yourself off. Mourn, weep, cry, scream, but get up and keep going. Listen, could you imagine at this point Satan coming over Job as Job is laid prostrate, prostrated over these ten graves. And he is listening. Let me hear him curse God. Could you imagine that? Just waiting. That's what the whole point was. Let me hear. But what did he hear instead? Job worshiping God. Job wasn't saying, God, I've been serving you and this is what I get. He wasn't saying, how could a loving God? He wasn't saying none of that. He began to worship God. I could see him laying in ash, laying over his children, 
blood, sweat, and tears coming out of his eyes as he's looking through this smoky sky and looking at God and saying, God, you are still Lord. You are still sovereign. All the strength he could. He maybe couldn't even lift up his arm to to worship God. Have you ever felt like that? I have. You muster up every strength and say, God, I don't feel it, but I know you are worthy of every ounce of praise that's going to come out of my mouth. And if I can't open my mouth, I'm going to hum it. And if I can't hum, I'm going to think it. This is proof of a relationship with God. This is before all of the things that we have today. Job couldn't go to the Bible and say, oh, he's, he's greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I will never leave you. He just knew that. Listen, Job didn't have to submit anything to God because he already knew that it was God's. That's why he says, I came into this world with nothing. I'll leave with nothing. Listen, the way you handle devastation cuts through the cliches of Christianity that disgust everybody. Come on, man. People don't need cliches. They don't even need to hear, I understand what you're going through. And then you tell them 10 minutes of your story. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody. You just put your arm around them and say, you know what? I haven't been through that, but I'm going to pray with you. And I'm going to beat the door of heaven for you. And I'm going to stand and believe and worship with you. And I'm going to be with you every step of the way. So if Satan were to ask God the question, do you worship God for nothing, what could God say? Job did. You know, so you know what that means? God saying, ha. Ha, devil. He worships me and he has nothing. But Job had everything. Point number four, Job's response shows what was in his heart. He worshiped the God of heaven and it magnified God in heaven. So what if all of this is God is teaching the heavenly realm how it is that when we serve him? The Bible says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. It says, through all of this, Job did not sin nor blame God. You know why? Because he was already settled in his mind in the good times. When the bad times came, it did, he didn't have to go by the wayside. Now, does Job question later? Yes. Have you been in a trial for a long period of time? You're going to have some thoughts. But you have to have a foundation to come back to. He acknowledged that every good thing came from God. And if God chooses to take it away, for whatever reason, blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you not realize that some of the most powerful worship songs that brings tears to your eyes were written in the most horrific pain known to mankind? That's the joy of suffering for God. I know we don't want to hear that. I know. But when someone is suffering and you see them persevering, it speaks 10,000 sermons. It speaks the majesty and power of God like nothing. Listen, missionaries are not going overseas into Syria for goosebumps. We, we, we limit God to unanswered prayer. You didn't answer my prayer. That's it. They ran out of cheese at uh, Burger King. I've been praying. You know, I've been wanting to eat this ice cream, and then the ice cream machine's broken. God, you're supposed to be God. You're over everything. Why you don't have them fix this? That's how stupid some of our prayers can be. I hope no one's actually prayed that. If so, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna, I need to wrap this up. But listen, I know what it's like to sit in the pew and worship through hot, burning tears. And I know what it's like to say, God, all hell is breaking loose. I don't even know if you're there. You might know what that's like, but I am telling you, God is with you. He is, he is, he is in you. He is empowering you. His word, he's way, he's saying, open up your Bible. I have something to say. And if he can't speak to you in the word, he'll give you a dream. Oh, God is trying to talk to us. We're not left alone. We're not left to our own devices. Could you imagine as Job is sitting there in ash 
Everything that he has is gone, but he still has God. Listen, that's part of Christianity. How do you know that the anchor holds if your boat is not beaten to the, to the, the point where you don't know if you're going to survive? That's how you know. How do you know God's a healer until you're sick? How do you know God is a provider until you're in lack? Come on, that's how you know God is with you. All of these situations and circumstances that come our way, God is saying, I got you. I'm with you. Don't worry about nothing. I'm God. I created all of this. Praise God. Yes. So this is the life application. What do you do when all of these things happen? It's a choice, just like Job had to make a choice. Number one, rest in the simplicity of knowing God. Listen, get back to the basics. God, I thank you that you are Lord and that you have saved me. I'm thankful that you just know me. I'm thankful that, you know, even David said, what is man that you are even mindful of him? You got to know that God is perfect, that he can't make a mistake. So if you don't see it panning out like you want, you got to know, I know my God is perfect. And he's going to work this thing out no matter what I think. No matter how I see it. I know that his plan is higher than mine. It's better than mine. And I trust God with everything in me. Listen, now get to a point as a Christian, you may go through some of the strongest and, and horrible trials where you don't even bleed anymore. I, I can tell you that for a fact. Something comes, it's like, oh, that figures, but I'm going to praise God. I'm going to worship God through it. I'm going to watch God change it. And if it doesn't change it in the first year, the second year, the third year, then I'm going to start adjusting my attitude, and I'm going to walk this thing out because I know that God is bringing me somewhere and trying to give me an example to tell you and to tell people. And same thing with you. That's how we need to start looking at this thing. Listen, when we get to heaven, it's going to be amazing. The Bible, I don't care what you're going through right now. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean it seriously. No matter what you can say, but look at this, but this, the Bible says it's nothing compared to the glory and splendor that awaits us. Praise God. I see all ash and all this and I'm like, but I'm looking for the blessed hope. I'm looking beyond the clouds, beyond space. And I'm saying, God, we're just passing through. But equip us, teach us, show us, empower us to destroy that little demonic kingdom that looks like a sandcastle. Come on, somebody. Y'all don't like ragging the devil? (laughs) Some of y'all are like, I don't want to speak too much about the devil. He might come after me. Battles is what will give you a spine of steel that you'll stand up and say, you know what, devil? I see you. I see what you're trying to do. I I know your game. You seek and kill and destroy. I know, I know. But greater is he that is in me. I have the kingdom of God on the inside of me, the power of the Holy Spirit. When I wake up, you better take notice. That should be your attitude because of Christ in you. Can we stand? I'm going to (laughs) just, I've got to close this up. Point number two. I'm going to give you point number two. I only have three more points, two more points, one more point. Rest in the sincerity of knowing God when trouble comes. You have to rest in that. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. That was his foundation. What is your foundation? Is it God doing this and that, and I'm going to serve you this way, and if you don't, I'm going to back off a little bit. I'm not going to worship you because, man, it's real difficult right here. Are you saying, you know what? I'm not moving. I'm not moving. If I'm in the lion's den, I'm going to just learn how to make these lions. I'm going to tame them. I'm going to use them as furniture. I'm going to feel, I'm, they're going to learn how to eat dirt. Something. God is with me in that lion's den. If I'm in the fiery furnace, I'll adjust. And number three, rest in the sufficiency of knowing God. The Lord gave me what I had. The Lord has taken it away. Praise be the name of the Lord. When you leave this earth, you got God. You ain't taking nothing with you. The thing is, you take people with you. That's the key. He had a settled posture of a worshipful heart. His his love wasn't in his possessions. His love was in God. 
I want to ask you a question. Do you think it would be an honor for God to say, have you considered my servant, this person? Some of you may feel like, ah, I think he already did that. I think, I think God had that conversation. But you are making the glory of God look so good to people. You're drawing them in. Let me ask you a question. Am I blameless in my actions and words? That's a question. That could we see Job? And, and I can tell you we're not. But in Christ, we are. So I want to ask you right now, if you don't know Jesus, you've never made him the Lord of your life, I want to give you an opportunity. Because I'm telling you, your entire world will change. So I want to see your hand. If you, if you could say, I do not know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I just want to say, you simply slip your hand up and I want to pray for you. You might say, I don't know who he is. Praise God. I see your hand. Come on. I want us to pray together. Let's pray. And repeat after me. Look, the prayer doesn't save you. It's if you mean it in your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. I repent. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. Wash me clean. Jesus, you are my Lord. You paid my penalty at the cross. I'm a child of God. I've been born again. Jesus is my Lord and my master. Jesus name I pray. Amen. Thank praise God. Praise God. Praise you Jesus. Well, I just want to say thank you. I know we went a little bit over, but I I want to open up the altars after the service and I just want to pray for you. We'll have some altar workers up here and we just want to stand and believe cuz I know in a room this size the fire is blazing. But you can have full confidence and assurance. And we want to join in prayer with you and believe that God will come through for you. In Jesus' name, praise God. Amen and amen. You're dismissed.